The Guardian. Hello everyone, I'm Matt Wells. This is Media Talk. Coming up this week, Mr Mosley goes to Strasbourg in search of a new privacy law but returns without a happy ending. Also in the podcast, I'm backstage with the big winners and the sore losers at the Sony Radio Awards. And after the semi-finals this week, Eurovision hits our screens at the weekend. So get your box of wine in and settle down for the second biggest cultural event of the year. What's the first? It's this week's Media Talk from The Guardian. Well, joining me today is John Plunkett, The Guardian's radio correspondent. And uh, I can say, just for the record, John, that the rumours floating around Twitter about uh, him and a premiership footballer are completely untrue, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'd like to put that to bed, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I-, I was on top, not him. <laughs> oh, God, we're starting already, isn't it? Uh, we'll talk about the Sony Radio Awards, which is what you, uh, you were at uh, uh, a bit later on. Um, uh, any sort of favourite moments of the night, though? Favourite moments? Well, I thought Chris Evans did a good job uh, hosting. Um, I think Frank Skinner taking the stage was, was a highlight. Yes, it was. And uh, joining John, it's uh, uh, Media Guardian's James Robinson. Uh, in fact, we've got two scions of the Media Guardian family with us this week, which is great. Uh, have you had a chance to look around the BBC's Salford Media Complex? Only remotely. Oh, remotely, right. Okay. I haven't actually b- visited. I visited Manchester a year or so ago when it was uh, just being built. What does it, it look like? Um, well, in the in the rain, it, it didn't look that inviting. Mm. But um, it, it's glamorous in the sense that it's futuristic. It's like set. It's like something out of Spooks. Mm. You know, Excellent. I think it'll be a huge success. Mm. Okay, nearly close to the mast. Uh, we start this week with Max Mosley's uh, failed bid to create a privacy law through the back door uh, of the European Court of Human Rights, uh, wronged by the News of the World when the paper made allegations about his sex life. The former owner of Formula One motor racing couldn't rest when he won damages here in the UK. Uh, his crusade to Strasbourg and the ongoing battles over various super injunctions that have all been around this week uh, has led the media to suspect that there is a privacy, lo- privacy law slowly being introduced. Um, but where are we at, James, with the, whole, with, with the privacy law? Because Strasbourg ruled against him. Indeed. Well, it ruled against uh, Mosley would wanted uh, newspapers to be required to put the allegations to the subject, didn't he, yeah. uh, before printing them, uh, which would have been a first step. Um, so that, that battle won um, from, from the press's point of view. Um, but the European Court in incorrect judgment shock. We didn't see that. You know, yeah, didn't yeah, see that on the front of the Daily Mail, did we? No, exactly. No, yeah. somewhat buried. Um, you know, leader writers in the mail praising the the, uh, the eminent judges in uh, yeah. Strasbourg. Um, so that, that one was that, that's one nil to the press, if you like. I mean, the, and then but then of course that as you've alluded to in your introduction that the injunctions. Uh, and the, the decision by an anonymous tweeter to break said injunctions has set off a whole, uh, you know, an argument for which is being, which is in all the papers all week and in the media all week about whether a privacy law is is necessary. So it's it's you know it's it's a hot topic and it's yet to become clear exactly where we'll where it will end. What about this Twitter user? Do we know Do we know who that is? We, we don't know who it is. We don't know who it is. Why order. did they decide to do it? Do you think? Yeah, I don't know who the. I've got no idea who, if it was just a mischief maker or if it was a highly principled individual who felt compelled to to they out got, these people. I mean, they got some of it wrong. Yeah, um, which makes me think we, it's more we the can former. Say who doesn't have a super injunction? Indeed, um, Jemima Khan doesn't have a super injunction, or at least not relating to. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson, yes, we can and say that. Photographs. Um, there are no photographs. There are no photographs. Well, there's no super injunction, we, and we don't know about the photographs. That's true, um, but you would like to think there wasn't um, for all sorts of reasons. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's a bizarre. It is. It is. It is a very uh, surreal situation, isn't it? And it does. You do think. You think how do you injunct a conversation? You know, because mm. essentially, I sound a bit pretentious, but you know, the the, the uh, 
the, the Twitter is a conversation. It's an online yes. conversation. H- how do you go after these people? There's lots of questions whether it, whether it could even be sued. I mean, it's enormous, enormous questions, and it does go to the heart of this huge change that the social media has wrought and on the, on the press and society generally. I think it will end up with a privacy law, absolutely. I can't see any option eventually that parliament is going to have to discuss this and and even people you know staunch opposers of, of privacy laws are starting to suggest that that might happen the editor of this newspaper alan rosberger was in front of the select committee wasn't he uh, this week and he was saying that um that he that he reckoned that it would it was at least time for parliament to discuss the issue yeah, you feel like uh, the situation it can't carry on as it is at the moment. I mean, it's it's uh, the law is a it's a bit of an asset, then, and it's, and it's becoming a laughing stock in the sense that people do talk about these people openly on Twitter and break these super injunctions. And now we've got in- increasing numbers of, uh, of of newspapers such as the the Daily Mail and the Evening Standard, sort of running jokey stories, which we won't refer to uh, specifically, but running jokey stories uh, relating to people who have taken out super yes. injunctions. Mm-hmm. So uh, so people in the know can read between the lines and have a giggle. So you've almost got uh, a sort of two tier society. One tier is very much smaller than the second tier. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of whom knows exactly who these people are and, and what the stories are relating to, and the other has, has, is clueless and uh, slightly, slightly confused and befuddled by these uh, these odd stories that appear to make no sense. Yeah, we need clarity, don't we? I mean, that's the thing that we just need clarity. I mean, and it's a question of whether you'd rather have judges making, uh, a, a, you know, making privacy law up as they go along, uh, or you'd rather have elected our elected representatives doing the same thing. I'm not sure I trust either of them actually, yes. um, but I think that the other, the third alternative, which would be some form of uh, oversight by self, you know, regulatory bodies or the PCC in the newspaper industry's case, it, is, it doesn't look particularly compelling either, given its track record in the last few months. Well, so. you mentioned the PCC; they've uh, they've come out fighting against Telegraph, haven't they, for mm. the for the undercover recording of Vince Cable? I mean, that was quite a strong ruling, and it sounds reading between the lines of uh, or listening between the lines of what Baroness Buscombe was saying on the Today programme this week that there was quite an argument behind the scenes, certainly mm. on the council uh, about it, on the commission about it. But in the end, the ruling went against the Telegraph, and they had to to print a you know, half a page yeah. worth of retraction. Yeah, I mean, I've got some sympathy for the Telegraph, but I know the PCC have um, come down and they made this point, they've come down hard on entrapment in the past and will continue to do so. But, I mean, you do wonder whether they, they, they feel the need to, to bare their teeth because, because they got such a kicking over their response to phone hacking, which was completely inadequate. Yeah, and, and it feels, you know, fine, uh, uh, John, so, so, so they rule against the, the, the Telegraph on this and they can argue that it's a continuation of their case law, but it is still astonishing that they just haven't said anything about phone hacking. There's been no sort of, you know, there's a new regime at the PCC. They've not announced a review, for example, of, of how they handle phone hacking in the past, which you might have thought would be a sort of get-out-of-jail card or something. Yes, you feel like their credibility has been almost held beneath the waterline, I think, by their response to, to, to phone hacking and the, the failure of their first review. Um, as regards the, the privacy law, you, you wonder, it's going to be extraordinarily complicated how they're going to, uh, what it's going to be and how it's going to cope with Twitter and how any kind of privacy law deals with the online world. Um, you know, how, how can its remit possibly be, be that broad? Okay, uh, there's more on uh, all of this. Lots of comments about this, actually, on uh, mediaguardian.co.uk. Let's get stuck into the Sonys. Uh, the, uh, it says here, the radio industry is equivalent to the British Press Awards. But, you know, I'm not sure how... Uh, <laughs> that's it, 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 it's in, a, that's in, a, in a, an attempt to avoid saying the Oscars of the radio industry, mm. which we're not going to say. Well, in uh, America, they say the Oscars of the Sonys of the film world. <laughs> Do they? Um, uh, it, well, it was, it's been dubbed the year of the bloke, hasn't it, uh, by some it commentators? Uh, by, from, by, by, by John Plunkett. <laughs> it was you, wasn't it? It no, was, it was. I detected a pattern, yeah. <laughs> well, it, there was a bit of a pattern. Frank Skinner and uh, Ronnie Wood... 
uh, one big for Absolute Radio. TalkSport picked up Station of the Year, and uh, Mosdi of TalkSport uh, got Programmer of the Year. Um, well, I was there, actually, in the, in the thick of it all, uh, not drinking uh, and staying sober. Grabbed a few words with Chris Evans, uh, the host, to find out how it was all going. It's been a big year for radio, as far as content's concerned. There's been some good stuff, newsworthy content, you know, tragic, lots of it. But nevertheless, you know, big, important content that's got to be communicated. Nobody does it better than radio, because it's easier to do on radio if you can do it well. I had an idea who may be on stage at certain times during the evening, both the presenters and the recipients. Some big names up there and some important unknown names up there. And the variety is good. I think... The live music added a little bit to it as well. And I feel more relaxed having done three, so I'm, yeah, I, I'm more of a party, you know. This is your third one. How do you, uh, I mean, are you enjoying doing this? This is a big, the radio industry's big night, of course. It's a huge night. I mean, I did, I've done three things today of note in my little world. Did the show, then we did the judging of the 500 words competition with Howard Jacobson and Anthony Horowitz, and, and that was two hours. Then it was a quick kip here. Then it was a bit of a rehearsal. And then it was um, head down. Off we go and see what happens. Uh, Chris Evans, who we thought did quite a good job. Uh, yeah, he was good, yes. Yeah, he's made it his own, I think, after Gambaccini presented it, I think, for uh, for about 140 years before Evans took it. <laughs> yes, so, he did, yes. Uh, uh, he so kept things moving along a pace. Absolutely. Uh, um, and in terms of the winners, kind of mixture of big names uh, and worthy winners, but maybe less, less well-known. Um, uh, not a good year, though, in terms of losers for the BBC networks. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Well, Five Live did very well. Yeah. That's um, true. But uh, but Radio Four didn't didn't have the showing I think it's had in in previous years. And as you mentioned, the big gong, the UK Station of the Year, went to to Talksport, which I think was well deserved in the sense that uh, it's made a bit of noise in the commercial sector. It's got, added um, uh, a huge number of listeners over the last twelve months and uh, has has um, you know has, has done a good job. Um, uh, well, I talked to um, Moz D, who's the program director for uh, Talksport, and also with him uh, Scott Taunton, who's the chief executive of the station. It is a slow burn, but I'm very pleased that we've, we've delivered on that. You know, for us to have, over the last 12 months, a 24% growth in audience. But, but actually, if you look back over the six years in which we've owned the business, our hours have grown by nearly 50% over that period. So it's gradual growth that makes a difference. Moz, you made some big signings, uh, I mean, most recently, obviously, with uh, Andy Gray and Richard Keyes. Is that the strategy uh, uh, now going forward? Is it big name hires or is it build on this kind of credibility and incremental growth it's about it's about getting people on air who relate to our audience you know I know there was a lot of discussion at the time regarding Andy Gray and Richard Keyes um, you know they paid a price they paid a penalty uh, for what was said and done that's gone that's history but what what hasn't gone is the 20 years of um, professional sports broadcasting that they did and when you call talk sport it's not a huge leap of faith to think that they might be able to talk and respond to our audience quick word about the um, complaint that you put into the uh, BBC trust looks as if that's uh, about Radio 5 Live, I should say, and we were talking about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, it looks as if that is being taken seriously. Well, it's it's uh, the complaint was outside of the service license, the, the service license review that's taking place at the minute from the trust. But nonetheless, the trust has recognised, and actually, it needs to have a look at that as it goes through. If you if you think about the television market, if there's something going on, Osama bin Laden happened to be killed in the middle of the night, and it was easy enough for Five Live to move to that. But if it was at 3 p.m. on a Saturday. There needs to be, on television, there is a rolling news service that you can go to, you know, whether it's CNN or Sky or BBC. 
But in radio, there's no such thing. And actually, the BBC was set up during the first Gulf War to deliver on that. And actually, we think it's lost its way a bit. So what do you think, what's your objective with this? What, what would you like to see the BBC Trust do with the service licence review that's, that's coming up? Do you want them to set a specific and uh, uh, a firm target on a quota on news? Well, they've got a specific and firm quota on news. Which measure, is measure it better. 75% of their output must be news. And it's how they define that news, that they consider trivial phone-ins, you know, anecdotes about promises you made when drunk, are currently considered news and and yet I think they're, they're falling into a trap of, of trying to either compete on a sports basis or just simply trying to go for um, listeners listeners rather necessarily delivering on the service license in a way that isn't deliverable elsewhere. So Sony Gold, Moz, how do you feel? I do feel quite emotional about it because it's a long journey that for commercial speech radio in the United Kingdom it took the wrong turns now and again, no names mentioned here, <laughs> but um, I think now it's on the right road and I do believe that speech radio is the growth area of the industry. Um, you know, music radio is still very important, but again, it competes against so many platforms. The real-time touchstone of company, somebody talking to you in real time, it's an old-fashioned concept, is where the audience is increasing, not just for Five Live, but for TalkSport and other, you know, other speech stations, speech services, I think are going to be more and more important to radio moving forward. And tonight's a, a combination of Mosdi there, Programme Director of TalkSport, the uh, winner of Station of the Year at the Sony Radio Awards with uh, Scott Taunton, the Chief Executive, uh, speaking in there as well. Do you agree, John, that, this, that's, that uh, speech radio is the growth area? I think it is, yeah. Uh, I think he's right. It certainly has been for TalkSport. And uh, it's, it's a shame that digital hasn't taken off a bit quicker because UTV were planning to launch a, a second uh, speech station, which might have been more like the old talk radio. Um, and Channel 4, of course. And Channel 4, we're going to have speech stations too, yeah. So um, it's a growth area for them. But I mean, from commercial radio's point of view, it's also, uh, it's also expensive in, in, the, in the sense that you need uh, fairly big-name um, presenters to, to mm. pull it off. So, uh, so I don't see the launch of many new local talk stations anytime soon. But, um, you know, they're blazing a trail there, UTV and TalkSport. You're a talk sport listener, James? Um, I don't listen to it. I've got to be honest. I, I just, I, I'm so predictable. I've just listened to Radio Four, and that's it. I don't even do Radio Five Live. It's, it's too lowest common denominator. Me. <laughs> well, I, I'm, you know, far too intelligent. For absolutely, you stuff, are, yeah. of course, far too intelligent. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, five. Well, uh, we, I'm a big Five Live fan. You're a big Five Live <laughs> fan. <laughs> I, I, sure. I knew you were. No, um, no denominator too too low. <laughs> and uh, uh, they, they were the BBC network that picked up the the, the, the big awards. And uh, Nikki Campbell and Sheila Fogarty took Breakfast Show of the Year. Um, Sheila was, of course, replaced by Rachel. Burden, but the win on Monday uh, has been a good way to go out for her. I was just so happy on breakfast still. I was just a bit tired and needed to stop getting up half three. So to finish on something like this is just a complete joy because it was just a fantastic time to, to work with Nikki and all those years and it was just brilliant. And uh, and uh, how are you feeling now that you must be uh, delighted now you've got to manage to guess another one you've seen off? <laughs> another one you've seen. It took seven years. Yeah, yeah. really hard. No, it was, it's been amazing working with her and uh, I, I'll miss her, but... Uh, We'll always be friends. We're very close friends. How long have you been doing Five Live Breakfast now? At least eight, eight, eight years. Um, yeah. What's the quintessential Five Live Breakfast show? I think just feeling you get more and more comfortable with it. Because it's a very uncomfortable time of day to get up. And because we were at ease with each other, I think it, it worked. And when we had a big story and a sensible, serious story, I think we were able to do that. But we were able to have great laughs as well. And uh, some of the laughs we've had actually off the air were better than some of the ones we had on the air, or as good. You never know about those, know. but they were good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, looking forward to, the, to the, the new woman in your life. 
Yeah. Um, experiencing the new woman in his life already. Yeah. 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 Unlike my two marriages, <laughs> I would rather miss the last one. Uh, John Plunkett, what uh, Nikki Campbell there ending that uh, uh, clip? John, uh, are you a, are you a fan of the new the new woman in Nikki Campbell's life? Uh, I think they work uh, well yeah. together. Yeah, I think uh, it's, she's a tough act to follow, uh, Sheila Fogarty, uh, and. Um, uh, to be honest, I've never been a, b- a big fan of the Five Live Weekend Breakfast with uh, with Rachel Bourbon, but I think uh, I think they're sounding all right. Yeah, I have. I have. You can't. You, controversial, you, James. You can't see. You, you don't listen to this station. So I, I, my fingers slipped the on the dial once, and I, I, I more than once. And I, 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 Rachel Bourbon, I, I've met, and I think she's very good actually. Yeah. So I was just oh, going to stop and take a breath when John, yeah. John uh, made that criticism. But well, we'll wait and see how their bed is. Well, exactly. Yeah. She can she can prove you wrong, can't she? Um, yes. Nicky Campbell. He. Uh, what did he describe Sheila Fogarty? Said the breast uh, broadcaster in. Uh, in radio, once again, a slip of the tongue from the camera. Well, cable. yeah, original, the original Spoonerism, wasn't he? The, the, well, what he even, was, the, West yes. Kent. Pre, <laughs> Pre-Jim Nochte Spoonerism, right. yes. What a, what a Kent, indeed. Mm. Um, uh, but we, we, I did also talk to... Uh, we, I was... Uh, I did also talk to uh, Jeremy Vine at the Sony's. Now, he won the category for uh, Interview of the Year on his Radio 2 show uh, for talking to Gordon Brand. This is after Bigot Gate, of course. And uh, it was quite interesting how that story and that interview came about. The thing about these broadcasting moments is that they actually can't really be engineered. They just happen. I don't have a memory of any of us sort of doing anything that was particularly clever or brilliant. It just, it was just, um, it just was completely natural. I mean, you know, the thing was, he was being interviewed on my show about the banks, funnily enough, and we had word that he'd been rude to somebody. That's all we knew. And then this thing cropped up that her name was Gillian Duffy and he called her a bigot. And then as I asked her him about that, which was after 20 minutes of talking about the banks, um, this clip popped up on the screen, which was the clip of him saying the word bigot, and I played it to him, and it was the first time he'd heard it, and the first time I'd heard it. But even more extraordinary than that, Matt, was the fact that it was being filmed at his end, and we were still not identified why this camera was there when Labour had said there should be no cameras, and why... Yes, whose camera was that? Well, was it's a complete mystery. It was up in the Manchester, uh, BBC Manchester, and not only was it there, it was plugged to the wall, and not only was it plugged to the wall, the very second I mentioned the pensioner, all the news networks cut the interview up live, which is why it had that kind of impact. But I didn't know any of that until after it had finished. I said to the editor, this is a bit unusual. Brown sounded a bit discomforted. He said, he had his head in his hands. I've just been watching it. Sometime I'm sure I'll share a joke with Gordon Brown about it, but I haven't quite got to that stage with him. Uh, Jeremy Vine there. And I suppose we should give the final word on the Sonys to uh, Jenny Murray, host of Women's Hour. And uh, she won the Gold Award, which is the kind of big award of the night, chosen by the Radio Academy's committee uh, in recognition of her long and illustrious career in broadcasting. It's slightly alarming to look back and realise you're now a vintage broadcaster. Veteran, they say. Uh, a veteran, yes. It, it, it is very alarming. And what about that stand-up? Uh, how was that? You won, I mean, it was amazing that you won. I, why was well, it amazing that I won? That's a terrible way of putting the question. It was great. Did you assume it, that the, a woman couldn't No, no, I was, it was great that you won because you were so good. What was interesting was the six of us, five men and me, typical kind of yeah. balance, you know, um, sat in this tiny little dressing room at the comedy store, the home of great comedy, and we were like six condemned criminals sitting in death row. That's what it felt like. And that's exactly what it felt like because we were completely out of our comfort zone. So no chance of a change of career then? No chance of a change of Sticking career, no. My darling son who came and helped me with the, the car stories um, threatened, you know I had breast cancer about four years ago, and he threatened to heckle. And I said, well, what's your heckle going to be? He said, well, 
the classic heckle to a female comedian is get your tits out. He said, so what I'll do is shout, get your tit out, just the one. But she's far too nicely brought up to dare to do that. Congratulations on the stand-up and congratulations on the stand uh, Jenny Murray, she's, uh, how, how can I put this? Uh, sounded as if she was having a good time. Is it, yeah, not so much women's era as happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. very good though. Well, well deserved. A worthy winner, yeah. There's a lot of warmth in the room, I'm sure, yes. Because by the time it comes to the last award, it's, it's a rowdy affair and, and usually the winner can barely get a word in edgeways. But it was, yeah. it was pretty, uh, pretty restrained and everyone uh, took time out to go a standing ovation, didn't you? Yeah. Well? Yeah, very good. Jenny Murray. Uh, and that was the uh, Sony Radio Awards full list of winners and uh, more details of who won what uh, on mediaguardian.co.uk. Uh, now, because of, the, of that, that cackling you can hear in the background, you can tell that we've been joined in the, by uh, Guardian.co.uk's TV editor, uh, Vicky Frost, because we're going to discuss some television. Uh, you're obviously in a good mood, Vicky. Well, thanks for the introduction. That's all yes, right. I'm, yeah, I am in a good mood. Why yes. not? Yeah, if we, well, it's because it's Apprentice Week. It's probably why you're in a, you're in a good mood. It's appren- double Apprentice Week, followed by Eurovision. So it's kind of a bumper week, basically. Yes, let's get The Apprentice out of the way first. Uh, Eight million people tuned into the first episode. No obvious Stuart Banks this year? No, I think probably the the most obvious Stuart Banks was, of course, Edward, who uh, was rolling with punches all the time, terribly, and was hilarious when he sort of said, uh, not only am I the youngest, but I'm the shortest, which was <laughs> the best line from an apprentice candidate ever, yes. I think. Uh, so he was probably the most obvious, and of course now he's gone. Um so, yeah, I don't think there is, but I think in previous years there hasn't been, and we haven't seen that much of the girls yet, apart from Melody and Edna, neither of whom you can ignore, frankly. <laughs> so um, I wonder whether this might be the year where actually our character comes from the girls' team rather than from the boys, which it doesn't normally do. Yeah, did you, uh, um, James, John, Apprentice? I watched the, what's the Apprentice spin-off show called? You're fired. You're fired. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Um, I watched that, yeah. I'm glad you're so well You watched that, but not the main Yeah, I can't remember. I've got, there's so many shows on television these days. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of channels as well. I don't there, know if you've noticed there that are, trend yes. over the last 10 years. Um, <laughs> Thanks, James. For your, but, uh, your, <laughs> oh, it's very confusing for, for a media correspondent like myself. Yes. But no, I thought Edward was brilliant. I wish he'd stayed in because he was mm. such good value. And actually, on The Apprentice, uh, You're Fired, he came across as um, really quite together, confident and... Do you think? Interesting. I thought he came yeah, across as mad no, on The You're great. Fired. Because he just seemed in complete I'd denial about what he had just been. I'd hire him in a shot. But what as? Um, shoe cleaner. And <laughs> I don't know. He's good. He's good. I liked him. I liked him. So yeah. what, what do we have to look forward to, to next week? Have you got a sneak preview of the tasks? Uh, I think next week is the buying task, which is always ridiculous and uh, my favourite. I think I'm right to say that. I mean, it's got to be better than the app task, which, uh, I mean, nobody would buy either of those apps. The whole thing was pointless. Why would you download some animal noises or phrases? It was just an attempt to to make Alan Sugar Uh, look cool, wasn't it? I just thought it was just a bit crap. Yeah, although Alan Sugar, on Tuesday night... I just have to no yeah on Tuesday night he managed to be on BBC One for The Apprentice and then of course there was your fire straight after that and then they repeated the Alan Sugar football thing on BBC Two so he basically took over the BBC couldn't move to Alan Sugar um, uh, the, uh, any other lines on The Apprentice that we need to know about before we move on 
Only that I'm terrified and amazed by Melody in equal measure. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. Eh? Uh, Shadowline continues on Thursday. We mentioned the Shadowline. We, I think this is the third week that we've mentioned the Shadowline. But we should mention it because it's now been on. Yeah. And you were building it up to be this brilliant thing. And then all, all the critics hated it. Well, no, I wasn't. Because well, I hadn't seen it. Right. <laughs> but lots of people were. I think it might Maggie Brown. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, think, I don't think Maggie was alone. I think lots of people were saying. And it's been really interesting to see... Um, sort of viewers reaction to it which has been much more mixed much patchier I mean I think actually the first episode was pretty patchy bits of it were brilliant but bits of it was, you know some of the dialogue was awful mm. and uh, to me sort of the actors it was really uh, they didn't seem to know some of them were very over the top and some of them were very sort of quiet and, and it didn't quite work it didn't quite come together I, the next episode is better um, but it would be interesting to see what happens with the audience because it really did seem to polarise people. Mm. OK. Uh, I think we, that we just can't avoid it. Now we have to do Eurovision. Yeah, well, yeah, get out your spangles. Yeah, I think I will. Um, <laughs> uh, and we have been joined by this section uh, for this section by a Media Talk listener, uh, David Simpson. Hello, David. The reason that you're here is because you are, it, it would appear to be, at least amongst my Twitter followers, the world expert in Eurovision. Well, thank you. How long has this uh, obsession... Uh, sorry, I, oh, silly. <laughs> it's a, a, an enthusiasm uh, uh, manifested itself. Probably about seven or eight years, I reckon. Why? It's just so peripheral and not needed. It's, it was started as just an experiment, and it's turned into a multi-billion industry. I mean, what's not to like about that? Yes, well, exactly. Um, and this year, excitingly, we have a chance. Yeah, we do. No. no. <laughs> We're after very three very slow songs, but the three songs previously are very good at vocally. And uh, because the order's decided already. Um, yeah, half the order's already out, and there's a few slots left. But right. Depending who so who's, gets through tonight. who's before us then? Uh, I think it's France, Switzerland, and Italy who are all amazing live. Right. And, um, good and it depends on Lee Ryan. So uh, oh, which favourites as well at this point? I don't really see it. And I don't think they'll get it if the mid-table, because it's very rare that someone wins from early or mid in the final. Is it really? Yeah. There's only been three first-half wins in the last 15 years. This is amazing. So there is an actual... You know, well, it's not quite a science, but, the, but you can well, predict with some degree of accuracy, depending on, on where you go in there. Mm. The one to watch is order. probably Georgia, because uh, usually Turkey gets a heavy metal entry. Right. And they usually come in the top five, top ten. But um, Georgia's actually right at the last spot, I think. And they've well knocked. You don't think out. you do actually know. You just No, I don't know, but do I know. think George is one to watch, so Uh, what about um, the, the people who take it extremely seriously, very yeah. seriously, are Sweden. And, the, and it was a big disaster last year because they got... Am I right? You're looking at me as if I'm wrong. No, they did. They didn't get through at the final. No, so. And, and this, there was, this, was a national, this was a national disaster, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty... I've got a friend who lives out there and they couldn't quite believe that it didn't get to the final. So, so. Uh, but this year uh, they've, come, they've come back fighting. <laughs> With some of the worst lyrics, I think. Okay. 
Well, it rhymes. What else rhymes? I think it's quite good. This, the, I think he's quite good. I think he's quite cute as well. And I think he's, you know, he could definitely. You need to. You need to be. You need to have a catchy song, and it is quite catchy. Yeah. And you need to look quite good, and he looks quite good. It wins and the best prop award as well. Best prop award. Halfway through the thing, he ends in a glass box, and he has to get out of it. And it smashes so, everywhere. So it's like... It's a, <laughs> but in the rehearsals, it's only worked about half the time. And the other times he's banging the glass and it doesn't break. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be... The opposite of a mime, basically. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you... Uh, is it, Vicky, is Eurovision big in your household? Uh, yeah, I, I can't do the semi-finals. I think that's can't a step bother, too forward. Yeah. yeah, a step too far. <laughs> Just keep it to the final. Yeah, yeah, have a bit of a party. We do sort of foods for different countries, but then one year I got Sweden and I just like, <laughs> I had to have food for my kid. That wasn't very good, no. Meatballs, meatballs, I love it. Yes. We had green panel. cakes, uh, not so great, no. Um, we, we, we have got to mention uh, Ireland, Jedward. Mm. And I, I think that they're, they're the other dark. It depends, it all depends, doesn't it, on if they can actually sing on the night. I think they're being supported vocally by their backing dancers so um, it won't sound so bad oh because they're what carrying the burden you mean pretty much that's what the swedish guy's doing as well so he's quite bad live but his backing dancers can sing where, where are jibbled in the running order we don't know it depends ah, it depends where you come and then right. they will be signed tonight because they're going in tonight um well i think it could be it could be a, a vintage year vicky one more thing about sweden oh go on yes sorry <laughs> he was actually asked in a uh, in a uh, press interview if the gay theme was intentional and it's really great stunned silence if oh you want to oh, that's very amusing um, uh, I think we're heading for a vintage year well I think it's quite nice when you have a British entry that isn't absolutely so not going to win it's untrue it's nice that they have a small chance and then Jedward are always jolly we, we could claim Jedward I think couldn't we if they win well yeah we'd claim Jedward that's controversial they were on the X Factor weren't they so. yeah well I mean, we made them we made them we? Britain yeah. made Jedward don't you think John? Yeah, well that's like saying Jimi Hendrix is British isn't it I mean isn't it is it <laughs> well, it is because he launched his career, and they, if it wasn't for London, he'd be nowhere. Would, would, would he have won Eurovision? <laughs> he, would, he, would, he, would have, he would. have I won. don't he think. I don't think we take our selection process. Here. We've never got the selection process right. Have it, because in, in Sweden, David, they ha- it goes on for weeks, and there's uh, yeah, it, they have about thirty people competing for the prize and. They didn't get through to the final last year, so it can't be that great. No, that's well, that's not. Not. I always, I always skip the music and just watch the voting. That's cheating. That's that's not taking it, it seriously. That's not taking it seriously. Oh, okay, sorry. Is there so. anything else we need to know about Eurovision before we finish? Just the Romanian guys from Durham, so I really have to support the Romanian guys. The, the Romanian guys, the Romanian guys from Durham, from, Durham. from Darlington. Okay, well, beautiful part of the world, Darlington. Yes. What do you know about Darlington? I've stayed there a few times. It's beautiful, actually, beautiful countryside, isn't it? Amazing, okay. stunning. I think that's quite enough for this week because we've just descended into just yeah, random chatter. It is rambling. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure. Uh, how, how was it for you? It was uh, exciting and terrifying in the exciting same time. Exciting and terrifying. <laughs> uh, that, that, that'll do for this week. Uh, uh, sorry, for, sorry for the rambling. Producer Ben's off. That's why it's all got descended into hopelessness. Uh, thank you very much, Vicky Frost, uh, and uh, to uh, James Robinson and John Plunkett, too. Uh, thank you very much to all of you. Our blog, uh, Facebook, and Twitter details are all at guardian.co.uk slash media talk, uh, which saves us having to talk about them here. Uh, today's media talk was produced by Matt Hill and Pete Sale. I'm Matt Wells. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. See you then. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.